1: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito Com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Thweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Kirk, Your Enthusiasm. Uh, as of this recording, it is Thursday afternoon, and I am speaking with long time basketball friend and writer that everyone listening to this has probably read and consumed his content for years, Rob Mahoney, currently of the ringer.com. How are you, Rob? I'm good. This is the Dennis Smith Jr. Emergency Podcast, right? Absolutely. Oh, man, what a that poor guy, lottery pick to to uh training camp invite in less than 4 years. Um either he was really bad or he got bad advice or just like a healthy mix of just bad circumstances. I feel for the guy. It's, it's pretty disappointing.
2: Yeah. I mean, life can come at you fast with this stuff, but it's not over yet. I think he's going to get some chances. So we'll see if he can put some
1: together. I hope so. I hope so. Well, you know, we're going to talk about a number of things, not all of them basketball related, but uh, uh, you know, for, for those of you who, who may be unfamiliar with Rob's work, I highly recommend, he his his uh podcast on the Ringer basketball feed called Group Chat with Justin Verrier and Wozni Lambre. And it is one of my favorite basketball listens because it's a healthy dose of of people who seem to watch basketball and enjoy different parts of basketball, hmm. which makes your like 35 to 40 minute conversations really funny sometimes.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah. No, we de- we're definitely coming at it from different angles, but especially since. You know, Waz has jumped in for us, and he's been just a great add to the pod. I really love talking with him, so it's it's a fun show to do every week. Hopefully, some people will check it out from Mavs Moneyball.
1: Yes, well, let's start. Let's start with a little bit of Mavs stuff because uh, you know, as I've been, you know, it's been kind of the dead zone, and you know, we're summer league happened, and it's just you know the season ended, and things. We, this is kind of the first real break that anyone has had that wasn't pandemic like specifically pandemic induced since probably the 2018, 19 off season, because we've just kind of been going for two years straight. And now that I've been, been, you know, sort of sitting here and thinking about the Mavericks, I'm thinking about how harsh I often am as an in-game critic where I, I watch the games and tweet the games. Like I'm at a sports bar. <laughs> and, and I, I think that, that looking at, at at the Dallas Mavericks as a team that you used to cover and still probably have a, a, per, you know, distant fondness for, um, I I just don't know how to think about them, and I I find myself getting a little bit bullish about their their chances this season. You know, you have Superstar and Luka Doncic. You have Porzingis, who there's just – there's enough there to make you not give up, and then, you know, uh, they have some shooters that they acquired, maybe not like top list free agents or anything like that, but – this was a team that won a lot of games down the stretch and has only played the Clippers in the playoffs the past two seasons. So am I am I crazy? Is there something there or is 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 this just, you know, off um optimism creeping into my view?
2: I mean, you're definitely not crazy. If, if you have Luka Doncic on your team, you should probably be pretty happy, pretty optimistic about what your team can do, even if it has some established shortcomings, some established flaws. I mean, we can certainly get into all those. I'm sure the listeners are already pretty well familiar with the secondary ball handling and all that stuff. But a lot of, I think, the optimism around the Mavs would come from the intersection of what you just brought up, which is the fact that this is an actual offseason. So if you're going to have, let's say, a coaching and front office, hypothetically, a coaching and front office complete overhaul, you would want to do it in an actual off season when those things have time to actually coalesce and crystallize. When your coach has time to formulate what his new plans are going to be, what the, you know, fill out his staff in a timely fashion, but have time to really canvas candidates to figure out his roster. And so, if you're going to do all those things, if you're going to have a player in Kristaps Chris, Porzingis who hasn't had many healthy off seasons recently, and they could really use him being healthy, if you're going to have a star player who's going to play international basketball uh, over the summer, but also still have some time to rest this is the time to do it. This is just kind of a very logical time for a reboot. And I think that's why you're seeing the Mavericks do it and a lot of other franchises as well, not just because they've been building to that point, but because there's finally an extended stretch of time when you can wrap your arms around some of this stuff and really start to steer who you are as an organization. So we're seeing some of that from the Mavs, some for good, some for bad. Um, Jason Kidd would not have been my first choice of head coach, but here we are. I think the important thing is that you have Luka Doncic, you have a team that has sanded down some of its its sharper edges in terms of you know some non shooters some questionable decision makers just kind of making a rotation that makes slightly more sense but most importantly just putting as much shooting around him as you possibly can which is the lowest friction way for the Mavericks to be successful
1: yeah it it's kind of hard to quant there's a couple things i want to follow up with you on that it's kind of hard to quantify just what josh richardsons very slow release did when Luka got him the ball, or rather the times where he didn't get him the ball on open looks, because Richardson's inability to shoot from three was kind of a, and really kind of his, his low volume was really, it, it had a bit of a cascade effect on the offseason, or on the rest of the offseason, because so much of what they had done was predicated on having space and if you don't have to if you can collapse ease, more quickly off of a shooter like or off of a driver like luca and you don't have to worry about richardson doing anything it it really kind of it's it, uh, what do you want to call it shortens the floor mm-hmm. and now they have written they have uh reggie bullock who i mean i'm I, i'm i'm looking forward i don't want to say i'm excited but i'm at least looking forward to seeing what will happen because at volume he is a he 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 shoots a high percentage at a high clip and those two things put together just add another pressure point that the defense has to defend because as those of us who watched luka in the olympics saw how willing he is to give the ball up to open shooters so i'm i'm looking I'm looking forward to that a great deal um I wonder, what do you think about the extended coaching staff? And and on top of that, how much does the extended coaching staff actually matter in, for an NBA team? I mean, it's hard to know
2: just because those things have their own internal dynamics. We'll have to see kind of who is staff to do what, you know, who is kind of assigned to which players and works with them most closely. So there's still a lot to be determined there. I think there's some optimism and some or some reason for it, at least in terms of the mix of new people being brought in. I mean Igor Kokoskov is a is a good coach. It's a head head coaching caliber uh a guy who should be at the front of a bench somewhere and is coming in to be a lead assistant. That is a that's a coup. That's a great get. I think Jared Dudley is a nat- at a natural transition point in terms of being ready to take on more of an official coaching role after being kind of an unofficial coach with the Lakers, but you also have these holdovers with Daryl Armstrong, with God, Sham God, people who, you know, will maintain some sense of continuity. Uh, within the organization, with at least within the roles that they had and and for Godcham God specifically, you know you just, there's just immeasurable value in getting some of the supporting guys in this team to be more confident with their decision making and their handling uh, that you know that's pretty huge. and bringing Chrissy Tolliver is really big as well. So I like the shape of that staff. It's just hard to know what the dynamics are gonna be when most of the people haven't worked together before. I think as as far as I know, it's just Sean Sweeney, I think, and I guess Jared Dudley by extension, um, who have worked
1: with Kid before? Is that right? Uh, there's the uh, George, uh, Saint Saint John. What was his name? Um, he was the summer league coach. He was a developmental assistant for the Lakers, and so he oh, worked with Kid as yeah, well. Greg Saint John. Greg Saint John. Yeah, and and so that's that's something. I to me, and and I'm curious for your take on this. I think Luca is nearing an inflection point in his career where he's so good while being not in top physical condition he's an MVP candidate. He's an um, all NBA first teamer and he really isn't in peak shape. He really has a lot of kind of like, I don't want to say glaring weaknesses because that's not fair, but weaknesses that you can point to specifically. And it does not matter because he can still go out and give you 30 points. I think having a new series of coaches and that uh, is, is potentially a really an important opportunity because from what we've learned of the reporting, Carlisle had kind of he kind of I don't want to say given up, but he saw the writing was on the wall with Luca and he didn't really seem to to fight with Luca too too much. Um whereas in the past we've seen, I mean, Jason Kidd is an example. Him and 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 Carlisle butted heads big time. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if like new voices in the room can somehow make a bit of an impact because Luca's just at this point where I think if he doesn't learn how to be a professional within the next two to three seasons, then he it's 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 gonna be a bumpier road for him. I think he will, but I think just having some people who are kind of invested in that and willing, you know, Jared Dudley, I don't particularly care for him, kind of annoyed me on all of his media stuff, but players seem to really respond to him. So I'm just I'm looking forward to how that dynamic might change because I, I think how if they can figure out how to get more out of Luca on nights that you know they're playing the Indiana Pacers in the third game and four nights kind of deal then that's how the Mavericks go from being a, a you know, playoff team to a like, possible contender status, at least with the roster that they have. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to
2: the greater theme of this entire offseason for the Mavs, which is what is the inherent value of a franchise-level reset? You know, Just by getting, as you're saying, a new voice in, in Jason Kidd and his staff, all new voices – Uh, with Luka Doncic and with the rest of the team, what is the value in changing that messaging, in changing that line of communication, in flipping the dynamic between whatever, you know, however it had gotten between Luca and Rick Carlisle to whatever can be now with just a new group of people. That's something you can't quantify very easily. It's not very easy to predict. It's something that's going to take time, frankly, for all those people to establish those kinds of working relationships and shorthands and trust. It's always a big thing. So there's a lot that has yet to uh, to suss out. But as far as Luka himself, I mean, Nikola Jokic won the MVP last season, I think in less than ideal shape.
0: Uh-huh. Luka
2: Doncic is a guy who can be the most dominant player in the league in less than ideal shape. He can have you know somewhat questionable habits, whether you're talking about in-game or out of game sometimes, and he can still be one of the best players in the league. And so that kind of really, it puts all everything around him and around the Mavs in just a totally different, kind of gray contrast versus in vivid color because all that stuff matters it matters as well as he's on the team obviously you want to get the right kind of supporting cast and enough talent around him but there is a point at which Luka is so good that stuff just doesn't matter so much and if he's not there already he's really really close mm-hmm. and that's the future of the Mavericks you know they can make great moves they can make middling moves they can make disappointing moves
1: as long as Luka Doncic is on the team they're going to be really good it's funny because the fan base, and just because, frankly, they're both white European players, really want to compare Dirk and and uh, Doncic. And there's just not a lot of apt comparisons to be made because Dirk came into the league and he was extremely skilled, but he was playing in probably the most talent-heavy position in the league, which Luca does as well as kind of wing ball handler. but. It took him. He really. He was a worker in a way that yep. that JJ Berea has him implied that Luca is just not like he's he's a, a true savant in that he seems to be able to just make himself better. I'm really terrible at pulling stats, but I was looking at something the other night just because I was having an argument with someone, and from 10 to 16 foot last season. So so uh, 20 19 20. Luca shot 35 percent in that range from in in 2021 in the same area with almost I think it was almost triple the volume he shot 52 percent so he just kind of overnight you know using he just got better at one of the most difficult or at least like you know difficult shots in the league where guys just tend to stay away from now it's a no man's land and so I I don't know how you know the work with him is is so interesting because it's you know, we don't see it. It's, it's not, he's not like a lot of American players, but he's going to continue to improve. But the real trick is like guessing where is so, is so interesting. So if the Mavericks aren't going to, uh, it it seems like like this is essentially the same roster for the third straight year. If they're going to roll out the same roster, then at least rolling over the infrastructure, you know, allows for some sort of change. And I, I, I'm, that's just, I guess, why I'm a little bit bullish, despite me not really liking all of the choices involved. I'm try- I am try—I don't know how to reconcile that, but it probably just has to do with the fact that Luca is really good, and that's the start and the end of it.
2: It, it kind of is, but you're absolutely right about the dirk Luca comparisons. I think the, the sooner we nip that stuff in the bud, the better, just because they're such radically different people, such radically different personalities, mm-hmm. not to mention players. I mean, Dirk has been very upfront about Luca just being miles ahead of where he was at a similar age. And beyond that, you just have this thing where, you know, when Dirk came to the NBA, what he was lacking, I think, more than anything in terms of his ability relative to the NBA stage was confidence. Like he just Mm -hmm. needed to work into a position where he felt comfortable playing against NBA players. That has never been a problem for Luca. For Luca, it's more about habits. It's more about reads. It's more about almost like emotional and cultural intelligence and doing doing emotional labor on the court in the sense that you have to manage all the people around you at all times. You have to make sure people are getting the ball in the right spots. You have to make sure that people are feeling satisfied within their roles, which is one of the hardest parts about playing that like very heliocentric kind of role that the Mavericks have asked him to play. He's one of the best players in the league at doing it. You should give him the ball as much as your offense will possibly allow it. But it's his job to make sure that everyone around him is feeling locked in and plugged in in a way that's really difficult. And that's kind of what his learning curve is gonna be over these next couple years, is figuring out how to make sure everyone else is at least feeling involved. It's not about a number of touches. It's not about a number of shots. It's about if you're checking in with a guy, is that guy feeling fully engaged in what's going on around him? Is he feeling like he's a part of that team? It's a hard balance to strike, but I think Luca absolutely has the basketball intelligence to pull it off. Just a matter of figuring out what's best for him, what's best for his team, and how to
1: enable everyone around him in the best possible way. Yeah. Well, that's enough, Mavs. I didn't mean I, I you know, I bring you on because I want to talk to you about like nine different things. But because this is the Mavs podcast, <laughs> I needed to at least do some some lead-in. So I wanted to sort of talk to you about some NBA issues at large because you've mm-hmm. been covering how many years have you been writing about basketball now? It's got to be at least 12 yeah in some fashion or another since 2008 i think so with that in mind what about basketball still like fascinates you and and thinking about that like what about this season it, it is something that you're at least looking forward to covering or sussing out or through watching games i mean the first question is pretty big and i think it comes
2: down to you know, Greg Popovich and a lot of other coaches have talked about this as well, about how basketballs fundamentally a really simple game. The, the objectives are incredibly simple and straightforward, what you're trying to do, how you're supposed to accomplish them. And yet people like you and I can sit here on a podcast and debate means and pick and roll coverages and styles of play and personnel. And we can honestly be at odds over this very, very simple idea by introducing all of this complexity around it. Like that is a really intoxicating idea to me. The fact that we all know where we need to go and that's to winning basketball. And there's just so many different ways to do it. There's so many ways to meet that objective. That's, a, that's an incredibly uh, addictive idea to come into every season figuring out, okay, what are the Sixers going to do this year? What are the Jazz going to do this year? Are the Suns going to be able to maintain a similar form? Are the Mavericks going to be able to take their next step? Every team has some version of their question about how to solve this stuff. And it, every question is fundamentally different based on the, the people who are on the floor. So, I mean, that's, that's what always brings me back. As to what I'm looking forward this forward to this season, I mean, for one, are we going to get a fully healthy Brooklyn Nets team, and what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, maybe they just run over everybody else. And two, the Western Conference is just as wide open as we've seen it in a long time, mm-hmm. to the point where I don't know. I don't know who would be considered the favorite. I guess the Lakers by default, but I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that team to be like the definitive Lakers versus the field pick. And so the fact that I'm taking the field means lots of options, lots of things could happen between now and the end of the season. Some of the Mavericks involved, some of them not, uh, but there's just so many dangerous teams out there that I think are going to be fun to watch from you know the teams that were right there at the top of the West standings last year to you know a, a renovated and rebuilt warriors team to is Zion Williamson and the Pelicans are they going to figure it out there's just there's so much going on in the West right now to
1: look forward to i'm really looking forward this is a <laughs> Considering I don't really understand a lot of aspects of of NBA-level defense, I'm looking forward to seeing what new or different things teams are able to try, considering the rule changes which are taking effect this year. And, you know, I think specifically, you know, I I watched the Mavericks play drop coverage for years, and drop coverage has become increasingly ineffective as – skill levels frankly continue to rise our our mutual friend matt moore it just drives matt crazy how (laughs) much shooting matters It, it, it it's so funny to get into arguments with him because he just you know, Steph Curry breaks the game in very fundamental ways, but there's just the skill level now with, with shooters, with what these, these players can do. I mean, watching like Cade Cunningham hit as many threes as he did in that summer league game, it's just these guys coming up are more and more skilled, which makes defense harder and harder to do. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what teams do defensively. The Lakers are a fun example because, you know, if, if me being a, a partisan of sorts, the Lakers won their championship by fouling the absolute shit out of everyone all the time. They played incredible defense, basically daring the refs to call fouls, which they didn't. Obviously, they had two of the best players in the world, and that mattered, but – you know, when you're not allowed like if 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 you don't have the personnel to play a defensive game, it's hard to. The Lakers that season had a very defense oriented team. This year, they I don't think they do. I don't think they have the guys that can do it. So watching how they do, how they play, and in my mind, they're kind of the West's early you know early seed just because they have two of the best players on the planet uh, as far as being you know the number one seed. But the the defense and what happens is is going to be interesting, just because I think those rule changes have. A lot of, you know, with every rule change, there's a lot of unintended consequences. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens there. Well, there's both unintended consequences and there's
2: a bit of a lag as teams try to figure out what they mean. And especially for defenders who are in the thick of it. You know, it's one thing to hear, OK, refs are going to allow this kind of contact or they're going to take away this kind of contact, but to internalize that at a level where Again, Steph Curry or James Harden or Dame Lillard or Donovan Mitchell or whoever, these incredibly explosive and creative athletes are right in front of you and mm-hmm. you and your body know what you're allowed and what you're not allowed to do. That's, that stuff takes time. It takes, frankly, weeks, if not months of getting into the thick of the season before guys will really start to figure it out. If that, maybe, maybe it's the playoffs before people have really figured out what kind of contact is allowed and not allowed on a uh, like fraction of a second by fraction of a second basis. So I'm I'm really eager to see you know what the rules change will hold uh but as far as I mean NBA defense more broadly it's it is in a really interesting place just in kind of the meta game of the league between managing the drops versus the switches versus the hedges uh the skill level is at an all-time high as you mentioned but the defensive skill level is also at, at an incredible high point for the NBA just in terms of the versatility of the bigs who are coming into the league, the switchability of the guards who are coming into the league. These are players who are groomed for the modern game. So we're seeing kind of the Steph Curry generation of guards meet, you know, the Draymond Green generation of bigs. And the way all those players interact, especially on the younger side of the age spectrum,
1: I think is going to be awesome to see over the next five years or so. Well, in the market, you know, this is getting extremely nerdy, but whatever. And the inefficiencies that teams find I have it on pretty good authority that when the Mavericks busted out early in the 2019-20 season, uh, uh, so I guess last season, um, season before last, when they were just, you know, jumped out to like a 16-5 and record, something like that. I have it on pretty good authority that they thought they had cracked the code. They thought that with their five-out spacing, they were at least a year ahead of any of their potential rivals with the offensive kind of juggernaut that the Mavericks had. And then within a season, five, I want to say it was like five to seven teams had already cracked their off, like the Mavericks' previous offensive rating. So it's, there's just, the the way things go, you never really last as long as you you think you will with with whatever competitive advantage, because all these teams are just so smart now. So, well, I wanted to bother you because I as the listeners know, have finally moved back to Dallas after a 19 year, um, a, a, we'll just call it a hiatus from living here. <laughs> and now that I'm an adult and I actually have a little bit more of a palate, um, my wife and I are, are really looking into trying as much, of what the Dallas food scene has to offer, and I can't remember how far you how long ago you moved, but you have some kind of mainstays and things that you love about this city. You took me to torchies before torchies had turned into a franchise um and so I would just me and the listeners would really love to hear some of your 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 food thoughts about this region, and i'm going to write these things down and make my wife listen to the podcast, and we 're going to start <laughs> trying stuff.
2: I love it. All right. Well, first of all, I mean, what are you looking for? Anything
1: specifically? No, it's I'm kind of very open. I really love Mexican food. But I will tell you, after living in D.C. for years, I've had better burgers in the past, you know, like three weeks since I've lived here than I had in 15 years in D.C. It's just so, so many options. It's kind of overwhelming, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, the the burger thing it
2: really is a stark contrast when you start living other places. Like I'm I'm out here in the Bay Area, and to be honest, the burger situation is pretty dire. Uh, (laughs) But especially, well, especially again by contrast, like to me, for my money, Maple and Motor is the best burger I've had anywhere in Dallas. I went
1: there with my uncle. He took me there last week, and oh my god, that was a that was as close to the, it reminded me. The only thing in comparison was the very first time I went to Five Guys because I just never had a burger like mm-hmm. that before. Maple and Motor was oh my gosh, that was nuts. I got there right at eleven o'clock when they opened and got a double with a fried egg and it. It, it was just <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I was comatose the rest of the day. It was outstanding. I mean that that road right there is great for that because just down the street
2: is Mike's Chicken, which I think is some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. So really, if you want to eat, if you want to eat well and eat not so right. Uh, I would recommend hitting both of those spots for anyone out there. I'm trying to think of anything else to throw out. I mean, Uchi is one of my favorite, like modern Japanese style restaurants. Love it. Um, originally based in Austin, they offshoot to Houston, to Dallas, to Denver, to a bunch of other places. Uh, all the locations I've been to have been wonderful. Highly recommend that. Um, what else is kind of interesting? Uh, so, inside the Jewel Hotel in Dallas is a restaurant called CBD Provisions, and uh, they serve a pig head carnitas that is amazing <laughs> like served served on a half pig head serves like maybe three to four people fresh tortillas salsas the whole deal it's it's tremendous I'm trying to think what else would be interesting <laughs> on the japanese front i was so i'm actually going to be in town uh later this month and i was trying to get in to this new japanese restaurant in greenville or on greenville called Shoyo. Uh, very competitive reservation to get. I got totally boxed out on the online system. So uh, I say this, you know, advising your listeners to go for it. But also if I find out you got my time next time I'm trying to get in there, it, we're going to have words, I think. Um, Noted. What else? What else is notable? I mean, on on the taco front. Yes. Um, I mean, so as far as I know, Dallas, I think is the only place I've heard of that has multiple taco tasting menu restaurants. Um, Revolver Taco Lounge is one of them. Definitely would recommend it. The other one I haven't been to yet is more of an Asian fusion taco situation. I think it's mostly Japanese inspired uh, called Edoko Omakase. Would definitely check that out. That's on my list to try. I've heard great things about Trompo and El Come Taco. Those I haven't had a chance to get to yet, but they're kind of high on my list when I get back. I'm a big, you know, I'm not above the, the Fuel City Tacos experience. I don't know if you've been there, Kirk. Hmm. Have a um, kind of Taco talk of uh, a gas station on. I guess it's like the kind of southeast, si- just on the southeast side of Dallas. So Fuel City and also the adjacent and rivaling Fuel Town Tacos. I think both are very good for kind of like a, <laughs> just kind of like a, a cheap gas station street taco experience. Uh, largely takeout, maybe takeout only. I can't remember off the top of my head. But most importantly, respect yourself and all listeners. Respect yourselves enough never to go to taco deli that's the most important advice i can give you
0: really
1: okay so that was suggested to me and we just didn't make it happen because my five-year-old is he just like anything new he's just he just mm-hmm. loses his mind inside just didn't want to fight him on it but that's that's good to know no taco deli okay i mean i find that it's a bit of a turf war there's a bit of a, a religious divide between
2: you're either kind of a Torchis person or a taco deli person um in this realm of like Kind of, you know, fake Americanized tacos. Uh, so I'm definitely on the torchy side of that conversation. But I'm trying to think, what else is like things that I can't miss when I get back?
1: Uh, I, got, I got, I, an, I got, I got this, this. Just pop. I'm, I'm posting this in our chat. Um, you can see it in the bottom left corner of the screen. But I got a a link sent to me for a place called Easy Slider, and and their new fry. And it's like it's a fried chicken slider topped with. Or chicken fried steak slider topped with gravy. And I'm just like, this is, this is why I'm going to be housebound obese. Like the things yeah. that I, I'm getting where it's just now I'm getting all like the Dallas food ads and the mm-hmm. things that the different like local all weeklies and stuff put out. I mean, there is just incredible food in this city. And I mean, I know every city has their things, but people that aren't from the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex don't seem to understand that. Like it's like 70 miles across of stuff. There's yeah. stuff everywhere. There's different barbecue. There's and and just the the kind of mish like I went to a place last week. Just my wife and I were out. We were taking a vacation day. Just looking for stuff for the house, and we stopped at a place that had uh, brisket queso that was just oh my gosh! Like the kind of things where it's just I just didn't have access to in D.C. because there's different commercial real estate settings that so just a lot of the places were either. Not, you know, it was just a different deal. so it's it's been really quite incredible uh, to come back here and just see the stuff that's like at my at my doorstep. Like the torchy taco, like that queso is and it it, it might it's it's kind of ridiculous because Torchy's is a little bit of a chain, but it might be my favorite queso that I've ever had. And I don't know. <laughs> Like, and Bobby Corral and I have talked about this because he's like, Oh, we're going on a queso tour then. If you think that's incredible, this is what I'm talking (laughs) about. Like, this is what I need. This is why I go to Orange Theory and run so hard so I can shovel my face with food. Um, man, that's it's good. incredible
2: Sorry. too. Even like, I mean, I live in a very Mexican food rich area. Lots of great Mexican food out here in the Bay and California more broadly. But the queso situation is just dire. As <laughs> as a native Texan, I mean, it's either non-existent or it's just a completely different product. Uh, And I I want no part of it, frankly. So yeah, that's always something. Whenever I come back to Dallas, te- I mean, Tex-Mex is a, a particularly close to my heart, and queso in particular. Um. I mean, on the, on the brisket front, I mean, how, how deep have you gotten into the barbecue scene?
1: Not as much because again, the five-year-old and food textures or something we're working with him on. So he's a little fidgety, but my wife is all about it. She loves barbecue. So we'll be trying any recommendations there. I'd love to hear. Same goes for the listeners. Like, please reply to me on Twitter. Like I have a, a Google sheet somewhere where I'm just like saving all this stuff.
2: Yeah, please add me on those responses, too. I want I want some new gets. I mean, one thing I'm looking for in particular, if anyone out there is listening, I, I need some fried catfish in my life. It's just, Ooh. again, not a thing out here in California for obvious reasons, just a different kind of seafood diet out here. Uh, so if you have a, a favorite fried catfish spot in Dallas, let me know. Uh, Barbecue wise, I don't think you need to go too far off the beaten path. I mean, Pecan Lodge is an institution for a reason cadillac which is more like the galleria area cadillac barbecue is amazing i would say like a very close second runner-up when i'm in town i don't really bother straying from either one of those i'm gonna hit one of those two places no matter what that makes Um, sense but looking at this chicken fried
1: steak slider is i mean this is this (laughs) (laughs) right i mean it's just there's something about food presentation and hd cameras now where it's just like oh man this is this is legit Mm -hmm. um i i so, well, before I let you get out of here, I wanted to yep. ask you one more thing. I don't know if I briefed you on this one, but one of my, there, there are occasional, you know, being a, a sports writer for a fan site, there are occasional little thrills that occur whenever you're listening to other people's podcasts and, you know, like somebody will read a question on air, but I will say my, one of my favorite unexpected thrills of the last year or so was hearing you appear on the podcast with Mallory Rubin, where <laughs> you guys were talking Marvel stuff with the ringer verse. And I had no idea that you were into this and listening to you and her geek out for two hours was just outstanding. So I, I just wanted to tell you, I hope they let you do that a little bit more. I know it's difficult with, with content production websites where they probably don't want people straying too far from the lanes that they hire you for, but that was really fun. If you guys haven't uh what what was the episode on? I I I'm I'm missing my mind at the moment. Was it one of uh the Loki episodes?
2: Yeah, we did two Loki episodes, one like at the mid-season mark and then one wrapping up the season after the finale.
1: Oh man, cuz that was I'm watching I just watched last night's What If and and no spoilers or anything for anyone that hasn't just had the time to invest in these shows, but Marvel somehow keeps demanding more of your attention even after you don't want to give it. Josh bow <laughs> my site editor, is just like, I can't, I can't watch this stuff anymore. I don't care. And I'm like, but Loki might have been one of their more I, I I like it's it's not an in and out of my head experience. It's not like just a, a quick pop action thing. It's like really they're just going places and doing some fun stuff now. That's just it's really I look forward to it, and it's nice to have. Uh, It was nice, honestly, to have like a two-year Marvel break, but now that they're kind of dipping back into it and petering it out in these small amounts, it's somehow a lot more rewarding than it was waiting for each next big movie. I don't know if that makes any sense.
2: It does. I mean, first of all, thank you so much. And thanks for checking out that pod. Those were so much fun to do, but I've been really lucky. And I think The Ringer in, in general is like a really open place in terms of, you know, crossing over some of those lines from sports into culture and vice versa. Like those doors have been super open in terms of exploring that kind of thing. It's just a matter of like, what do you care about? What are you interested in? Because mm-hmm. if, if they had asked me to do a, sh- to do a pod on WandaVision, I'm going to be honest, I was pretty lukewarm on WandaVision or, sure. you know, uh, Black Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like those shows just did not really appeal to me in the same way. And so getting the chance to do some low-key stuff, I think, hit at the perfect time because I was very into that show. Um, But it really is. I mean, Mal's just the best, the best in the business at this stuff. Uh, You know, just the incredible deep dive. So to to be on the pod with her was a thrill for me Uh, and just trying to keep up, frankly, with that level of knowledge, because as far as (laughs) Marvel stuff goes, I'm I'm a primary text person. You know, I'm like I'm watching the shows and the movies because I like you, I'm a citizen of the world. These are some of the biggest things in culture. I'm going to check them out. I enjoy them but I'm not doing the deep comic book dives. I'm like maybe right. dipping into some wikis uh, to figure out like, oh, who who, who the hell is Kang? Like, you're you're I need asking to know your stuff. friend. You're
1: asking yes. the friend that knows everything to explain it to you because like diving deep involves, it's like choosing a new religion. Yes, Like you really want that level of commitment. <laughs> and that, that's the great thing about working at the place I work is those people are everywhere.
2: They're all around you to ask about whether it's that or whatever, you know, but it's, it's awesome to work at a place that, invest in that kind of stuff you know like i grew up a a big star wars kid and we like cover star wars obsessively it's just great to read that kind of coverage and hear those kinds of pods it's a uh, it's a new world for for nerddom everywhere i think
1: well are before i let you go then are you watching anything lately that you're very much uh enjoying because you know we have this brief gap between you got to start really grinding again um uh, is there anything on the pop culture front that's really capturing your imagination Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, this has been a, a rich time for that. Just kind of having having our nights back with no games going on is definitely the time to catch up on some movies and some shows. Um, I mean, movie-wise, if you haven't seen The Night, would highly recommend it. If you, okay. haven't, seen, if you haven't seen Pig, would highly recommend it. Those are like two recent, um, you know, back when it was a little safer theater experiences I really enjoyed. Um, I just watched uh, The Other Two, the series on HBO Max, about like okay. the two older siblings of a... Uh, Fictional YouTube fourteen year old pop star, um, very funny kind of sitcom approach. That's been that's been really good for right now. I actually really dug. Uh, I was catching up on Mythic Quest. I hadn't seen it before. Oh, it's so
1: good. Really it's, en- it's really enjoyed that. It, that was that was just like a warm roll. It was just like really comforting, and somehow had no business to be as good as it is, and yet it was. I mean, there were three episodes in that where we're just like some of the more moving television like, you know, in a positive emotional way that I can mm-hmm. remember in some time. I mean, the the standalone episodes in particular
2: were just outstanding. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think it's worth it for those alone. And, you know, it's such a short investment of time getting to yeah. that point. Very easy. Um, and then I've been working my way through this. I have this uh, Wong Kar Wai Criterion box set. So I've been working Ooh. through the filmography of Wong Kar Wai. If anyone out there hasn't ever seen his movies before, I mean, they'll, they'll change your life. I would definitely recommend those
1: well since we're talking about this my recommendations to the crowd and to you if you haven't seen any of them Um, on on apple plus for all mankind somehow manages to be one of the more engrossing rich and when i say rich i mean apple just like dumps money into these shows like it's just for all mankind might be the best looking show i've seen on television it's the quick pit the elevator pitch is what if the russians beat us to the moon um, and then it's kind of an alt history. It's shockingly good. I, I don't understand it. The second thing I would recommend, and this is getting really, really weird, but if you're an HBO max person, doom patrol is a oh. show that is, it's, it's like D list superheroes is the print is kind of the, the pitch, but it's really a show about empathy. And it's another one of these remarkably moving shows. It's not a big time commitment. There's only like 18 total episodes. It's the third season is coming out soon. It's preposterously weird though. I will say that. (laughs) Um, And then the last one for anyone that hasn't done it uh, and making a triumphant return to Netflix, I am rewatching Friday night lights for the first time since it aired. And it's like being wrapped in a warm blanket. It's just so good. And now that I've been married for a while, I get a kick out of their relationship even more, oh, uh, sure. uh, the coach and his wife. And it's like, yeah, this is the be- one of the best TV marriages probably outside of The Sopranos.
2: It's amazing. I mean, are you connecting with it in a different way than the last time you watched it?
1: Well, I mean, when I last watched it, I'd been away from Texas for like two or three years. So now it's a little bit different, particularly when I go through my hometown and you can just see people that don't that aren't from here that have never lived in a big high school football town. It yeah. might come across as we it might come across as weird, but it's really it's just it's there's just a lot to it. It, it, it. It's one of the few shows with the exception of season two where it's like start to finish. There's just it's one of these small the shows that is, is like positive about people. And, and so many shows are about just how awful we are as people. And that's kind of what I love about Mythic Quest as well. Um, it's just, you know, I hate to be like sappy like that, but it's just we live in kind of a shitty world sometimes. And it's nice to watch something that can make you feel good, uh, you know, and then that's fun.
2: No, I've, I've I've been meaning to do a Friday Night Lights rewatch. Uh, very fond of that show, both on its merits and also in just kind of like a wistful, nostalgic Texas way, as you mentioned. It just it hits a a very particular sweet spot. But for all mankind, I have to say it might be Hello? like one of the, the most recommended Rob, did shows. We lose you? Oh, there we go. My back. It briefly cut out. That's okay. Oh, okay. Um, I was gonna say for all mankind might be like the most recommended show in my life right now. So I really? think really. Yours might be, you might be pushing me over
1: the edge here. I really need to check it out. None of these shows are big time commitments comparatively. Cause they're only like 10 episodes and it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. I can do that.
0: That's I'll tell you this. It,
1: it made Seth Partnow and Jared Dubin who are both while delightful basketball writers, I would say air edging, uh, to be there. They might be cynics and both of them love the show too. <laughs> so, well, I'm looking for someone or a show to, uh, to warm my, maybe not
2: so cynical, but at least neutral heart.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, Rob, I, again, as always took too much of your time, but it's been, I don't know that it's been almost a year and a half since I had you on. So thank you so much for, for carving time out of your off schedule and, and talking to me. I don't like to bother you in season because I know you're working all the time.
2: Oh, please. No. And time. And let's, let's keep up on some of these recommendations. I want to hear your reviews of some of these restaurants and I'll, I'll let you know when I check out for all mankind.
1: Yes, sir. All right, Rob. Thanks so much for uh, appearing on Mavs or whatever the heck the name of my podcast is, Kirk, Your Enthusiasm. You guys check out all of Rob's work and uh, all of our good friends over there at The Ringer because that's one of my favorite websites. This has been Kirk Henderson, and we will talk to you a little later in the week. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.